So today, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we have been going through a series in the book of Acts, and uh, uh, it's what we've been looking at for quite a while. We took a little bit of a break, but we're going to be getting back into it. I-, I wanted to take a pause this week from the book of Acts and specifically address um, the reality of what happened this, this past week, um, Part in part because we definitely at this point right now are, are a nation that's, that's hugely divided. Um, to, to not only see uh, riots, but in some places violence um, breaking out, um, fears are, are at a kind of an all-time high. I thought it would be really good to just pause, to take a breath, to consider uh, who we are as followers of Jesus in light of a climate that is, uh, for the most part, um, filled with anxiety and, and rage and uh, high emotions, uh, very much so on high alert. So I thought it'd be really good for us to kind of think about this and consider this. If you guys don't have a Bible, we have some ushers. I would love to get you a Bible. So we'll be taking a look at a bunch of verses. You can raise your hand. They'll get them to you. We'll get in the scripture in just a moment. What, what I want to do this morning first, I want to I jump in um, by praying. I'll invite you guys to pray along with me. I'll make some uh, kind of introductory comments and statements. And for the most part, just, just FYI, today is not going to be like a... Uh, an uber in-depth Bible study like what we typically do. This is more of like an address, a, a devotional thought or whatever, however you want to look at it. I don't care how you say it or describe it. Uh, scriptures, passages we'll look at will hopefully help shape our understanding of who we are. Um, in a lot of ways, it's more of just an, an address upon um, for us in a, uh, a very challenging time for our nation. So let me pray, and we'll jump in and take a look at some ideas that will try to help hopefully, hopefully shape our minds and our understanding about who God is. So God, we thank you right now that you have drawn us here. God, we devote this time in your hands, and we pray that no matter who we are, no matter what types of emotions or uh, uh, feelings we have or fears or anxieties that are... Um, perhaps oppressing us, controlling us. Um, God, we ask you right now that you would help us just to, in this moment, to pause and to consider you, to think about who you are, think about who we are in light of who you are. So God, we we ask you that you would open our hearts to receive uh, you, receive what you desire to speak to us here this morning, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I mean, the reality is uh, a couple things to consider is, uh, you know, obviously every presidential cycle and election, there are those who cheer for a particular candidate. And should their candidate lose, uh, they feel like it's the end of the free world. It's true. It's totally true. Um, I've, I've been alive for 46 years. I've only been voting for it since I was like in my late 20s. I could never remember a time ever that I've been voting uh, in which I remember there's, there's always one side or the other that is, is filled with a lot of angst or rage or frustration or hurt or fears uh, because the other uh, candidate um, lost or won. Um, so that's, that's a reality that we oftentimes have to face. Um, and yet at the same time, there is a sense where some feel like it's the end of the, the free world. There are those, obviously, whose candidate wins. They feel the exact opposite. They feel a sense of elation. They feel a sense of joy. Um, we live in California, obviously. California um, is probably one of the most left-leaning uh, states of, of the entire uh, union. And uh, that means, what that means, point blank, is that even within the Central Coast, even within this church, 
there are those that have very blended uh, political concepts and ideas and leanings and, and passions. It means that in this community, so, so if you are kind of of a left persuasion, don't be fooled into thinking that everyone at Calvary Slow or everyone within the church on the Central Coast is all a bunch of Fox News Republicans. They're, they're not. They're not. Absolutely not. There, there, there's a variety. There are those that lean very left. There are those that lean very right. And there are those that are somewhere within, within the middle. And, and what I've discovered is that um, within that context are those that call upon the name of Jesus. They love Jesus. They're, they're not the enemy. They're not evil. They're not wicked. Uh, they love Jesus. And yet they have a, a variety of political persuasions and ideas and ideologies that, that, that govern and lead and guide. So um, that being said, just straight off uh, the bat, I think is important for us to consider and think about this. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have a country right now that is uh, deeply divided and deeply hurting, that there is a level of anger and vitriolic rhetoric and fear and anxiety uh, combined with a sense of political smackdowns that are at an all-time high. It's and, and, and because um, it's part of our nation at large, it's, it, it is absolutely 100% part of our community at small, or minimum, whatever you want to look at it, who we are. That means that there are those in this room right now that have um, a sense of elation because your candidate or candidates or people that you voted for uh, won. And there are those that have a deep sense of, of, of anxiety and fear. And, and to which I think it's really important for us, or disappointed at least, to which I think it's important for us to really consider some important things as to who we are, first and foremost, within the context of God. Because that's, that's, that's what a church is. First and foremost, we have loyalties. And the question has to be asked always, who do our loyalties ultimately and supremely belong to? To a right-wing uh, agenda or to a left wing agenda or to a middle or what and this is where it's really important for us to kind of unpack and understand a little bit about this at the same time really recognizing um, the fact there are those that have a deep sense of angst and fear and how do we respond as Jesus people within that so with that I want to take a look at just a handful of things there is this climate of unrest of fear and anxiety and it's easy I find to oftentimes lose a sense of one's identity. Like, who are we in the midst of this milieu of panic and dread and fear or elation and excitement and uh, high emotions? How do we, who are we in light of that? And this is, this is where I think it's really important for us to kind of let the Word of God reshape our understanding, remind us as to who we are. And what I want to do this morning is I really just kind of want to look at a handful of passages that I think will help shape our understanding of this and then really kind of finish with some ways by which we as Jesus people could and should be acting in light of this. Um, and with that, I want to just take a look at a handful of ideas or concepts. All right, so if this feels a little bit kind of like disconnected or disjointed, hopefully the one common theme will be, will be Jesus, right? So we're going we're gonna to be jumping a bunch of different passages. I'll have them up on the screen so you can at least follow along in that sense. Um, and again, like I said, if you're new here, if you're just visiting, this is not our typical normal morning. 
Um, this is going to be a little bit different. Next week, we'll kind of get back into a little bit of a typical normal morning. So with that being said, I want to just look at a handful of concepts and ideas. The first thing I want to look at is, is the big banner, the big picture over all of this, is this phrase, uh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is the first thing I really want for us to just think about and consider. Uh, we'll meditate, consider what this means. All right, so uh, Paul says this famous passage. He says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Common passage. A lot of evangelicals are familiar with it. Christians are familiar with this language. But what I want to do is I want to unpack this phrase. It's three words. Jesus is Lord. And to think about this, consider this. Um, There's a tendency, I think, within some modern evangelical circles to think about Christianity as being a religion that is completely devoid or disconnected from this world around us. In other words, it's apolitical. I'd like to challenge that and help cause you to try to reconsider this claim and what this means. The phrase, first century, when Paul the Apostle wrote, penned, however he you know, described it, I don't know. The idea, the phrase, the concept, Jesus is Lord, is a highly charged, I'd like to suggest to you, political statement. Highly charged political statement. Some of you might be like, wait, what? How is that a political statement? Okay, think about it this way. In first century, there was a lord over the empire. Does anybody know what his name was? Caesar. In fact, there was a phrase, Caesar is lord. In fact, on the coinage of the day, you can find inscribed on the coinage of the day, Caesar is lord. So who's the lord over all the entire Roman civilized world? It's Caesar. Caesar is the indisputed, undisputed lord over all. All right? Uh, at least that was the rhetoric of the day. So when, when Jesus comes along and when Jesus' people come along after him, they have this rhetoric. They borrow the rhetoric of the day. Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar's Lord. Jesus is Lord. That statement, at minimum, is, is subversive. It's, it's not, but it's different than simply saying, Jesus is Lord, therefore let's have a violent revolt, which was very common. This is a radically different revolution. It's not a revolution of swords or pitchforks or tar and feathering or destructiveness or violence. It's a radically different revolution because it has at its head a radically different Lord. Jesus is Lord. So three words I want to just kind of look at, think about, we'll move on to the next idea. All right, first of all, Jesus. What does Jesus mean? The name Jesus. Jesus is a name. It's Jesus' name, all right, and it means uh, uh, Yahweh is salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. And the, uh, the concept, the idea is that God has not abandoned his people. God has not left them to their own devices or left them to their own decay or their own brokenness or their own sinfulness or their own sinful proclivities or their own sense or status of exile. All right, exile is a big word. It basically describes a group of people that the Jewish people in particular were, were separated from their land and yet God rescued them from their exile. The idea is that Jesus is the embodiment of Yahweh come to rescue all people. So consider that. First and foremost, if you claim Jesus as your Lord, you are first and foremost acknowledging the fact that Yahweh loves you. Yahweh has involved himself in your life. The second word is the word is. Jesus is. Not Jesus may be king, Not Jesus one day once in the years distant past was king. Not one day Jesus might be, if he gets the popular vote, will be king. But it's the emphasis upon the current status. Jesus 
is Lord. I want you to just pause and think about this for a second. What does this mean for our lives? We'll try to unpack what that looks like in just a moment. But just pause right now and think about this. Jesus, Yahweh, who has embodied himself in Jesus, is currently Lord. The last word, Lord, which means master or king. I think one of the best ways to think about the word Lord, in fact, when you read your Bible in the New Testament, you read passages like Jesus is Lord or Jesus, our Lord, whatever. You can easily translate that word Lord into just, just king or Jesus Christ as king. The idea is that he comes and he brings a renewed order that is better than or a replacement of the order that was once in play. So that concept that Christians, Paul the Apostle, all New Testament followers of Jesus believed and held dear into their heart was that even though we live within Caesar's domain, Caesar's world belongs to him, the roads are paved by him, the coinage bear his image, uh, the poetry of the day is about him or whatever, the songs of the day, the politics of the day, it all somehow has Caesar at the very center of it all. Higher than that, above that, beyond that, greater than that, is Jesus, is Lord. Another way to think about this is that for the mind of the believers, for the mind of the followers of Jesus, every earthly type of empire, whether it be Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, Caesar, Donald Trump, anybody, at one point in history, the hope is all of these names will be nothing more than footnotes in the Jesus story. Because Jesus is Lord. And when you make that proclamation, when you, when you announce that, when you describe that, when you believe that, when you trust that, you are making this declaration that your, 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 your loyalties are ultimately to God. He's Lord overall. And we'll take a look at some ideas of, as to how that would play out within the context of here we live, though even though Jesus is Lord, we also live in United States of America. So how does that play out? We'll answer that in just a moment. Next phrase I want to look at and point out is the idea that Jesus brings his kingdom. Jesus brings his kingdom. This is a great passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. If you guys were here at the beginning of worship, I actually read this passage. Just listen to this. He says, we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. I want you to pause and think about this concept. We are receiving a kingdom, but it's not just a kingdom or any kingdom. It's a kingdom that is unshakable. Just think about the phrase here. The choice language that was used by the author of this particular passage was, was purposeful. Because the fact of the matter is we live in a world that is constantly shaking. Constantly rattled. And if our lives are rattled or shaken... We have to at some point ask ourselves the question, what kingdom affiliation do I give my allegiance to? Does that make sense? If our world is shaken, that doesn't mean that we cannot feel, um, we should feel, we'll talk about that in a moment, we should feel the pain of those that are in pain, we should feel the angst of those in angst, we should feel the, 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 the challenge that people are finding themselves in the midst of challenge. But at the end of the day, if our world is rattled and shaken to the point where we have lost all sense of equilibrium or balance or centeredness, then the question has to be asked is what kingdom is my heart loyal to? What the writer of Hebrews is basically stating very clearly is that we are receiving this kingdom. That 
cannot be rattled or shaken or moved or destroyed. Pause and think about this. The, the, The message of the gospel is always an invitation to come and to receive what God offers. And in this context, we have Yahweh offering graciously to us who may be shaken, not to feel shame over our shakenness, but to recognize our shakenness. Look, some have legitimate fears. Some maybe not so much. Some may be motivated by the media. Some may be motivated just simply by deep sense of whatever that's stirring within heart. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, whether it's real or imagined or perceived, the point of the matter is, is our lives can still nonetheless feel an overwhelming sense of being shaken. And yet the invitation of the gospel is always the same. Come and receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Your life can have equilibrium. Your life can have a sense of balance and strength and stability. This is the invitation. So Jesus brings this kingdom, this kingdom that cannot be shaken. So just let me go on a tangent on this real quick. Consider something. Look, throughout the early church, if you read or are familiar at all with, with the history of the early Jesus movement, you have these people that were literally um, willfully actually going to the lions. Uh, which means like going into the arena, going into these places where they, they knew that they were going to be mauled to death by ferocious lions. Uh, it was blood sport. It was, it was a way of entertaining the crowds of people uh, at the expense of Caesar, whatever the case is, um, who was oftentimes calling forth the, 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 the murder of these people. But as they were going to the lions uh, and being put to death, there was a sense of equilibrium and stability about their lives. How is it possible? How is it possible? Because they knew that even though they were sort of Caesar fodder, or they were sort of uh, nothing more than entertainment at, uh, at the expense of the crowds on a larger basis, they knew that they were receiving a kingdom that was unshakable. Therefore, that created an unshakableness within their own souls, within how they operated, within how they were able to act, within how they were able to re- respond and treat their neighbor, their friend, their enemy. It radically transformed them. So the third thing I want to take a look at is Jesus brings his kingdom. The third thing we'll take a look at is, again, you, you know, so I, I, w- I was not giving an understatement when I was talking about, like, random thoughts, was I? It's, like, typical. So, anyways, random thoughts. Third thing, but they're all linked. Uh, the idea of citizens of his kingdom. Now, I want you to listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, we, Paul's writing to this uh, community of people living in this city called Philippi, and he says, We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And from heaven we await our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So this concept of citizenship is also political language, isn't it? Or it's at least language of society. It's a language of community. It's a language of belonging. And in this context, Paul is saying we are citizens. He's writing to people that literally live within the Roman Empire. Some of them are actually Roman citizens. In fact, we know from the New Testament that Paul himself was a Roman citizen, but he's also stating. So this kind of raises a really interesting question that a lot of scholars and theologians have kind of developed, what they would call a dual citizenship. That a Christian, a follower of Jesus, literally has dual citizenship. You are a dual citizen. You have citizenship in whatever country you belong to, as well as a citizenship and a loyalty that is to uh, heaven, But listen to how Paul describes it. He says, we are citizens of heaven, and from heaven we await our Savior. So the concept in the first century, the idea of citizenship is really important. 
Again, like I said, Paul the Apostle was a citizen. If you lived throughout the Roman Empire, Roman Empire was massively vast. The center of the Roman Empire was, does anybody know? It's pretty easy. I just kind of give it away. Rome, right, right. You guys are awesome, great historians. Good job. Um, at the center of the Roman Empire is, is Rome. It is literally kind of like the, the centralized uh, uh, capital of the entire kingdom. It's the centralized place. Now, to be a citizen of Rome doesn't mean everybody lives in Rome. It's not at all what it meant to be a citizen of Rome. It meant that wherever you lived in this vast empire of Rome. Now, Rome, if you know much about how uh, Rome kind of uh, acquired lands, is, is, is not too dissimilar of how America or England acquired lands. Oftentimes, they would go into a territory, and they would try to make either peace treaties or they would take land by way of hostile takeover. And the point of the matter is, is regardless of how they did it, they would go into a particular region, and then they would uh, establish outposts. They would establish sort of a colony. They would colonize it. They were, they were like kind of original colonizers. They would establish kind of an outpost in a particular region. Let's say that was kind of a, a savage region, kind of part of Asia Minor. They would go into that, maybe for the most part, a lot of uncivilized people. But Rome would go in there, and they would establish an outpost. They would have soldiers there. They would, they would uh, oftentimes um, import people from all around the Roman uh, Empire to go live in this particular region. And the idea was that they would then seed that uh, community with Roman idea, Romans, Roman poetry, Roman song, Roman art, Roman culture would then begin to spread throughout that particular region. So if you were part of kind of a, an uncivilized or savage race of people that kind of lived in that area, barbarians, however you want to describe it, then you would at some point begin to be influenced by Roman culture. Does that make sense? You guys following? That was what a, a citizen of Rome was known to be a part. Now, again, there was never, ever the implication that a citizen of Rome was that one day all citizens of Rome throughout the entire Roman Empire would then end up in Rome someday in the future. Rome did not have the infrastructure to even handle the people that it barely had. So the idea was not one day we will all go to Rome. The idea was that as Roman citizens of Rome, of the culture of Rome, we will then bring forth the influence of Roman culture wherever it is that we live. This is exactly what Paul had in mind. We are citizens of heaven. What this means really clearly is that God has this kingdom that he's giving forth. And the picture that I think he's basically trying to say is that we are this colony of heaven here on the central coast. Pause and think about this. That if Jesus is Lord, he is currently king of kings and Lord of lords over all things. If he has come and he's giving us a kingdom that is unshakable... And if you are a citizen of that kingdom, what that means is that we live on the central coast as a colony, an outpost of heaven, heaven culture, heaven ideology. Is this you guys following so far? Heaven mentality, heaven thought, heaven thought processes are what govern us, what lead us, what dictate, what influence us. Guys, guys following? You realize how amazing of an opportunity this creates for us? What this means is that if our loyalty and citizenship, first and foremost, is to King Jesus, who is from a kingdom that is unable to be shaken, and we live here on the central coast as an outpost of this kingdom, and we await the time when King Jesus will return, he will appear, he will come, and he will bring healing throughout this entire earth, that means that we live according to the ideals and concepts and privileges and power and life of this kingdom. 
Some would say this, all right, that Jesus' kingdom, and we'll kind of end with this last one, all right, Jesus' kingdom, even though it is not of this world, it is for this world. Jesus' kingdom, though it is not of this world, it's different than this world, it's foreign, it's, it's like a foreign government, it's a foreign concept, foreign idea, foreign ideology. Even though it's not from this world, it is nonetheless for this world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what's changed you. You've opened your heart to the kingdom of God, and you've been changed. That the kingdom of heaven has been established, planted, is birthed, is seeded in your heart. It's growing. It's bearing fruit. Whatever metaphor or idea or picture you want to choose, what is happening in you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the kingdom of God influence over you, in you. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Your life now takes the shape of the king. What is that shape? It's cruciform. It's cruciform. It looks like laying one's life down, not demanding one's rights, not stepping on the weaker, not crushing the oppressed, but leveraging the burdens and the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the fears of those that are oppressed by such. Here's what we see, Romans 12, and I want to kind of finish with some thoughts here and we'll wrap this up. And it's kind of leverages forth this question, like what does, what does God's kingdom look like as it begins to break in? What does it look like? If we are truly a colony of heaven, a colony of Jesus' people living here on the central coast, according to the values of King Jesus, not the values of America, that we are American citizens. First and foremost, our allegiance is not to a flag. This might offend some of you. Our allegiance, first and foremost, is not to a constitution, it's to a king. First and foremost. And when we get that order disrupted or disorderly, what happens is we become divisive people. We become people that establish the politics of the left or the right or the middle or whatever above and beyond the politics of the kingdom. Which is cruciform. Because it looks like Jesus. So listen to what Paul says in terms of shaping some concepts. Like this kind of begins to put some uh, meat upon the skeleton. Like what does it mean? What does it look like to actually be Jesus' people living on the central coast? What type of shape and form does this look like? Well, Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 20. He says, our scriptures, I love this because Paul peels back to the scriptures in, in, in the light of Christ. He says, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go and buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Be a good citizen. The citizenship that he's no doubt talking about here is citizenship of Rome. <laughs> There's no doubt about that because in the context he's going to go on to say, he says, uh, for all governments are under God. For all authority comes from God. This is an appeal to the kingdom of God. The, the, the government of God is describing, this is where a lot of scholars derive this concept of dual citizenship. Though we are a citizen of this world, whatever kingdom that you belong to, America, New Zealand, whatever, you are a part of this world. But at the end of the day, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of another kingdom to which our highest loyalty is offered. So what does it look like to be a citizen of that kingdom, living within citizenship of this 
kingdom that's deeply divided and hurting and broken, full of violence, full of rage, full of anxiety. What does it look like? That's what he goes on to say. Because for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. It tells us a few things. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read this in just a moment. But first of all, I want to just look at a handful of things. In fact, why don't we go to the final bullet points, and we'll kind of come back, circle back to this passage. So just a handful of things to consider, think about, and we'll wrap it up with this. What does it look like? Well, I think, first of all, um, living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost, I believe, really looks like empathy. It looks like empathy. It looks like truly being able to try to understand. I think of it this way, talking to each other, not about each other. All right? If you want to talk about each other, that's what Facebook is there for. It's a bunch of people full of anger and frustration and hurt talking about somebody else. The bottom line is, and I engage in a lot of social media conversations a lot of the time. And one of the things I've discovered is that you actually can have meaningful conversation. It actually can happen. It happens a lot within feeds that oftentimes I'll start, and they're awesome. Uh, 10% of the time, 85% of the time, it's not good because what ends up happening is people talk past each other. People uh, create... uh, uh, ideologies or false concepts or stereotypes that are not necessarily true or representative of the other person. They talk past each other. And as a result of that, people get offended, they get frustrated, they get hurt, and communication then begins to break down. What undoes that is empathy. This comes by way of asking questions. It comes by way of, of asking really honest questions like, like what, what were you thinking when you voted for so-and-so? What was on your mind? What was what were your hopes? What were your dreams? What was it that you were looking for? What, how do you feel that your you know, Kennedy got voted in or didn't get voted in or what were you thinking about in terms of the context? Because look, the fact of the matter is when we begin to ask questions as opposed to just simply criticize, when we ask clarifying questions of somebody that appears to be the other, different than us, they think different than us, what we will then begin to discover is that they're, first of all, they're, they're, they're human. It's easy to take somebody that does not look like us, act like us, think like us, and create a stereotype for them, a label for them, not think of them in human terms, and dehumanize them. That's what dehumanizing is. When somebody is less than human, then it's easy to make fun of them, then it's easy to push them aside, then it's easy to bring destruction. That is the exact opposite of kingdom of God ideas. It's the exact opposite. But to be able to ask questions, this idea of empathy, talk to each other, not about each other. second thing is kindness. In that passage that we just read, he describes this. Listen to this again. He says, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy him, go that, buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with kindness. I love that passage, that concept. Surprise him with, with, with kindness, his goodness. Later on, he goes and describes it. But the idea of just simply being kind with someone towards someone, showing generosity is the next one. The idea of just giving of what we have. If, if someone's uh, hungry, give them food. If someone's thirsty, give them something to drink. Uh, Paul would later talk about this, that we are to bear one of those burdens. When somebody is grieving, go grieve alongside them. When someone's hurt, go feel and absorb their hurt. This is what it means to live as emissaries or as ambassadors of this kingdom of God as a colony, as an outpost of God's kingdom here on the Central Coast. That's what it looks like. It looks like this. 
Um, he describes generosity, describes uh, goodness, overcoming evil with good. The concept of rather than simply playing into evil conversation by more evil conversation, or rather than playing into stereotypes by creating more stereotypes, all this simply does is continue to just compound this sense of brokenness and alienation and destruction rather than stopping it. And if we are citizens of God's kingdom, living as an outpost on the central coast, then we have this really unique opportunity to demonstrate of what that kingdom looks like. And the last one is, is praying. Before I jump to that, I, w- I want to just consider one thought. Because, look, at the end of the day, this is not about, it's really important for you to hear this, it's not about you listening to all these concepts and ideas and say, go do this, do the best you can, try to be the best Christian, or how you want to describe it, citizen of God's kingdom, as you can be. With, because first and foremost, what you need to understand is that everything that's described in here is exactly what God in Christ has done for you. When you were hungry, when you were thirsty, when you were broken, when you were lost, when you were crushed, we have this God that did not come to us and level all sorts of do's and don'ts and principles and laws and concepts upon us to bring about a crushingness upon our lives. He comes to us. The Bible describes in compassion. The word compassion is this brilliant word. It just simply means with suffering. Come with passion, suffering. The idea that we have this God that is not abstract in his understanding about our suffering. He's a God that actually comes into our world, takes upon flesh and blood, really as far as we know, for one main purpose, so that he could feel the type of suffering that you and I feel. That is compassion, We have this God that has done all this for us. That he leaves his throne, his kingdom in heaven, steps into our broken, ruined, destroyed, rebellious world in which we have done a really fine job at bringing about brokenness. And he comes to rescue us. And then establishes a colony here of people that are rescued so that we could live as a colony of heaven in a broken world. For what purpose? so that we can form our enclaves, so that we can form our own Christianized ghettos, so that we can avoid evil out there. Ultimately, not at all, so that we can demonstrate what it looks like to live under the reign of King Jesus. It looks like love. It looks like serving each other. It looks like empathy. It looks like kindness. It looks like coming alongside those that are hurting. It looks like coming alongside those that feel overwhelmed by fears. It looks like coming alongside them and trying to boost and help and pray and consider them. That's what it looks like. This is what the gospel is all about. It is, first of all, something that is done for us, and then by transforming us, calls us, empowers us to be Jesus' people in a world of brokenness. And the final thing is we see praying for one another, especially our leaders. Last slide, I want to finish with this, and then uh, wrap this up. Whoop. I think a couple slides before this. There we go, perfect. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. So he, first of all, describes prayer, the concept of, of coming to God, asking God to intervene. First of all, pray for all people. And then he says, intercede on their behalf and then give thanks for them. Pray this way for all kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. So in the early first beginning primal stages of the Christian movement, the idea was not to remove themselves from culture and society at all. It was never the idea. 
It was never to completely abandon. It was actually to be very part of it. Not by way of somehow bringing in a revolution by way of violence and sword, a Christian revolution or a theocracy where we're going to make this place Christianized. That was never the idea, ever. It was, however, to live as colonized people transformed by this gospel to pray for one another, to love one another, to serve those that are hurting, to pray for those that are going through tough times, to pray for the leaders. Now, again, this is mind-blowing because when Paul wrote this, it's very likely that the Caesar that was uh, in charge, some would believe, is actually this guy by the name of Caesar Nero. If you're familiar at all with history, you know that he was, he was a horrible guy. He was a guy that was, was literally just nuts. He was crazy. He was actually known for burning Christians at night. He was a guy that was responsible, some believe, for actually burning down Rome itself and then blaming it upon the Jews and the Christians and whatnot and used that as an opportunity to, uh, to kill and crush other followers of Jesus. And when Paul says, look, let's pray for the king, think about the context of this. Paul is saying, let's pray for Caesar. Why? So he would go to hell? <laughs> so he would burn? So he would be destroyed? No, actually quite the opposite. So that he would do well and lead well so that the, whatever government he leads and brings in, that he would allow us so that we can live quiet lives marked by godliness. Um, look, praying for a president in this context, even one that you may not agree with, doesn't mean praying in some sense where you agree with him. It means maybe even praying that he would act justly. It might even mean praying that he would treat those that have felt alienated or marginalized with some level of dignity and value and respect that would reissue uh, some sense of um, uh, uh, trust and confidence. It means praying that as we live in this culture and society that we as a colony of heaven, here on the central, or central coast, would demonstrate what life looks like to live under King Jesus' reign, which looks like loving one's neighbor, which looks like helping those that are going through tough times, which looks like praying for everyone, and especially praying for those in authority over our government. Look, I realize for some, this is, this is challenging. This has been a tough week for some. For others, maybe not so much. But the bottom line is this, is moments like this become teachable moments to remind us of who we ultimately belong to, who ultimately is in charge. I want to finish with this passage. What I want to do uh, as we wrap this up, I actually want to spend some moments together praying. Now, we do this periodically, and uh, it does involve some level of like actually like disrupting your nice, comfortable seating and all that arrangements. And uh, I'll have you guys break up into maybe groups of three to five or six or so, something like that, in just a second. And just, we're going to pray. We, we don't want to just listen to passages like this and be like, that sounds awesome, but never do it. Like, that's, that's we don't want to be practical atheists, right? We're like, well, I believe in God, but we never do anything that God asks us to do. So, so we want to, and again, it's like, like this is church. Like, we, we pray. We, we, we seek God in church. And um, if you're a guest, um, if you've never prayed out loud, it's fine. You don't have to pray out loud. This is not about... Um, putting you on a spot or making you feel uncomfortable. If, uh, if you're super uncomfortable by that, maybe just turn around and say hi to someone, and then you can just, just chill. You can even have your eyes open. It's no big deal. It's fine. And, and there's no judgment. And, uh, but I want to I end on this, this uh, song. I'm not going to sing it, but um, it's a great song. That It's called This Is My Father's World. I just want you to listen to it. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll break up into little groups, and we'll just spend, I don't know, three, five minutes or so, something like that, in these little groups just praying. We'll have the worship team come on up, and they'll lead us in a few songs to close. Because, again, um, what the writer of Hebrews says 
is he says, because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's worship God. Let's worship God. Why? Because we're receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. We live in a world that has been radically shaken. It's not just America that's been shaken. It's just not the Central Coast that's been shaken. It's been the world. I mean, if the media can be trusted, uh, then, then all around the world, people have been shaken by the events of this past week. But the invitation of God is always to come and to receive his kingdom. If you're here this morning and, and you have not received his kingdom, the invitation extends to you. Receive trust in this God that welcomes you. How do you receive it? Well, again, Paul said, we read it, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be brought up, swept into this saving work of Yahweh on your behalf to wash you of your sins, to cleanse you, to perhaps even liberate you and set you free from the fears that cripple you. Because look, at the end of the day, people that live with this loyalty, first and foremost, to God's kingdom, they're actually free to help people on both sides. Both left, both right, right? Do you understand this? If you are deeply committed to a right-wing ideology, the concept, the thought of actually helping somebody on the left is repugnant to you, vice versa. You guys following? But if your loyalty is to King Jesus, and you see him as king, and this king is a compassionate, empathetic, loving, kind king, then this actually liberates us to lovingly come to the aid of those that are hurting and show kindness, show compassion, and vice versa. So listen to this song, and then we'll just break up in little groups. Uh, again, don't, if, if you never pray, it's fine. Just, just say hi to the person. You can just sit there. It's all, it's all good. Um, but just listen to this, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. Why don't we show the slide? Here we go. Ready? This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler. Yeah, this is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. It's always an invitation. Be swept up into God's kingdom. God's kingdom brings life and light and liberates us and sets us free so that we can be God's emissaries, God's ambassadors here on the Central Coast and beyond in the lives of people that are broken and lost and slaves to fear and sin and death and destruction and find life in this good king that lays his life down in cruciform shape on the cross that we could be those people, God's people here on the Central Coast.